Today we're exploring the big idea of brave spaces and how brave spaces influence the language and ways that we engage with conflict and different ideas. We're also talking about our role and place at the table together, plus a few rabbit trails. We're glad that you've joined us. You belong here. One of the things that we talked about in our TED Talks and that I'm sure you will hear us bringing up again and again is this concept of brave spaces. And I think when we talk about the kind of posture that we want to bring to these conversations or the table that we want to set or the place that we want to make for, for understanding one another and working on our faith um, together is we, we want to create brave spaces. And so Nicole, I wonder if I could toss it to you. If you could, we, we hear the term safe spaces a lot and every once in a while now people, some people are starting to use the word brave space. And I think it's kind of got a, a, a pretty good definition, but I wonder if you could maybe give us like safe space versus brave space. How do we, where is the need for both or is there, and how do we differentiate? Why is brave space why are we calling brave spaces more important than safe spaces? I think in my experience, um, a safe space has often been described as a place where everyone can share their feelings and there can, and there's no reply to it. If the, the issue, the feeling, the experience just kind of sits there and it's a place to vocalize. Right. When we start talking about brave spaces, we start talking about being able to engage in a respectful way with one another. Um, and it's okay to even disagree in these brave spaces and it's the way we disagree and it's the way we enter these conversations that make it brave. We're not coming in there battle ready. We're coming in asking open-ended questions with a real desire to learn more and to challenge ourselves more than we challenge the other person. Um, mm. we can get up in each other's grill and be all like posturing and I'm being all gangster. My kids are going to love hearing this. Um, <laughs> No, I just have to use some of the old slang. Like I said to my daughter today that I was going to get jiggy with it and she just about died. So it's my favorite thing. I just thing. about die when you say that. We're going to ban that phrase. Oh, it's my favorite thing to find old. Here, folks. It's my favorite thing to find old slang and pull it out on my kids because they can't handle it. They just die a thousand deaths. And I never use slang like ever in my life because I wasn't cool enough to. Yeah. But yeah. now I don't care. <laughs> anyway, so instead of like entering a conversation either ready for combat or in a really benign way that there's no progress made in a conversation. Being brave is finding that middle ground of wanting to move forward in relationship and in understanding, even if you disagree or need clarity on what someone else is saying. Yeah, I think that's really good. I think, um, the safe, safe, and I, and I want to be clear. I think safe spaces are important. There, there are times and places for safe spaces. Oh, that's practically a song somebody should write. Um, but like a safe space, I would say is almost like a trigger-free zone. Right. Like we're not, we're not going to say things that are upsetting. We're not going to, um, yeah, we're not going to be contrary. And there are times and places where, you know, you want to call up a friend and you want to just be like, bah, 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 and you just want to vent your spleen and uh, just like, and not, not get pushback, not, not have to like 
defend your position or, and, and there, there's a time and space for that. And especially I, but I think we need to be really, really careful that we don't only have space, safe spaces because they quickly become echo chambers and they quickly become places where then we start moving into us and them. Like we're the ones that think like this and the ones that don't think like this are somehow less than or not worthy of or those kind of things. So I think um, brave spaces can be, they require us to almost take what, what feels really important and precious and kind of put it aside in order to maintain connection and understanding with the other person. And so it's not, brave, brave spaces does not require you to, oh, now I have no beliefs and everything is relative and nothing is real. And that's not at all, a brave space is more like, there's so much real that I need to put aside what feels really real for me so that I can hear clearly what you're saying, whether or not I pick it up, have it change what feels real for me or, um, but that I really enter into a listening space where I can learn and understand from you, even though we might be totally different. When you touched on something really important there, and it's something that you and I talk often about, is removing the idea of us and them and removing that division mm -hmm. and putting that into a different context of we, that um, there's a there's a word that's often, I don't know, often used called Ubuntu, and that's I am because we are. Right. And it's adopting that understanding that who I am is affected by who you are because we are all in relationship with one another. And so instead of trying to find our dividing lines and um, plant our flags somewhere and then defend them, let's just set a round table where yeah. there's lots of space for all of us and there is no us and them and right. you know I was telling you I have had a few interactions on Twitter recently <laughs> that I don't normally engage with shenanigans there like this yeah. but it was that um, the idea that that there's a hierarchy to God's giftings and affection and um, calling on people and it was really easy in the moment. I was getting kind of jacked up. So I'm like, yeah, that person is this, but I am this. And then Karina's little voice in the back of my head, <laughs> you know, kind of going, well, there's somewhere in between. And while I do not hold that person's belief, we will probably spend eternity together. So there's got to be a way that we have to, that we find yeah. a way to um, hold to our beliefs yeah. But with open hand enough that we can hear from other people yeah, and choose what is still true for us and what we are releasing and accept that other people are in the same process. Yeah. I think that it, it is such a quick path to vilifying and dehumanizing somebody who thinks differently. And, and the truth is there are some ideas that have less merit than others. Like, and, and so it's not that all voices get equal time, equal weight, but everybody's humanity gets equal time and equal weight. And I think some, like, you know, I mean, we've just in Canada here just went through an election and it is so easy to get partisan and not see it in yourself. And it's so easy in our church cultures to get partisan in our church 
politics and the way that we understand things and not see it. And I think that's, that's really um, one of the first steps is to just grow an awareness that, that we are, we're all coming from somewhere. Like I think sometimes in, in our Western mindsets, we can get this idea that we are above worldview. We are above culture. We're above situation. And a really great first step, if you, if you are, if you know somebody whose faith is really changing or um, who's transitioning or leaving or whatever, or even in your own self, sometimes you can feel this conflict and it's because we haven't given ourselves permission to even see that we're a product of where we are. And so I think um, sometimes that can be a good step is just remembering that there's nobody on the planet who comes into a conversation purely for lack of a better word. I don't, I don't mean to say that we're um, sullied or something like that, but, but it's just nobody is above culture. Nobody is above filter situation perspective. And if we can remember that, then maybe it's a little easier to remember that we're doing our best and we're working towards understanding our faith in a more holistic way and a more we're, we're, we're trying to grow basically and and it's just like sometimes that's messy and but the only way that something can get pruned is to actually grow to the point where it needs pruning it's and so when we try and keep growth so that it never needs a little defining or questioning or pushback or anything like that i think we can end up in a really unhealthy place I agree. I think that oftentimes we, we view our faith and we view God and the Bible from our very small human perspective and box. Yeah. And what we fail to remember and recognize is that, that God is uncaged. He is not, yeah. you know, he is, yeah. he is not our pet. We like, I'm having a hard time articulating it, but it's just this idea that I grew up in such a context that this is what Holy Spirit does. And this is what Jesus does. And this is God. And these are all our little boxes and they stack together and they fit so nicely and neatly. And we get to control what that looks like. Yeah. And none of that is true. There yeah. is a meshing and an interweaving and we are not in control, but we get to lean into the process. Yeah. And really roll with it. And I think that when we remove our human filter and expectation from what we think justice and goodness and fairness and even abundance looks like, mm -hmm. we have this incredible opportunity to grow and to see God move and be all of the things that he's meant to be. I'm in the process of going back through our 10 talks and pulling some quotes out and yeah. social media stuff. And I was just listening to our piece on full spectrum God. And I really, what I took away, I mean, <laughs> it's funny. Sometimes I listen to those. I'm like, wow, those people are smart. <laughs> and it's that process of relearning what we already know. And, and yeah. listen to those moments of Holy Spirit speaking to us. And we're just letting those words go. Um, yeah. Anyway, it's understanding that when we, sort of open our boxes and let God and Holy Spirit and Jesus 
be who they are meant to be, we see abundance and we see growth, not just within ourselves, but in the community we want to pull around us. Yeah. And that's where we get more growth personally is from this varied, wild, untamed God that we actually have the honor of being in relationship with. Right. And I think it's this, this, this mystery when we're trying to understand God, it's like God is reflected in the person across the table from us. So there's something to be discovered about God in the mystery across the table from us. And yet there's no way we can ever fully discover God. And I think, you know, you're talking about all these boxes that, that we are like, this is what this and that is this. And, and we do that too. We're like, and then the Methodists are like this and the Pentecostals are like this and the United people are like this and the Catholic people are like this and Hillsong's like this. And, and nobody's ever like that. But what we do when we do that, it's funny how much God is so much like us in the box. And, and we think it's that like, yeah, God is revealed in the in the in us and, and in the person across from us, but God is also so much more than you know, and what we think he she is. And I think that we um we're kind of getting off track on on the brave spaces thing, but I, I think that it's it's just if we can keep that in mind, like, you know, like we, we can, we can try and remove our human filter. I think that's one way to look at it. Or I think even just to go, there is a filter. I can't stop being human. Like I can't. And if I can just walk in that awareness of mm-hmm. I'm limited and I'm trying to describe something unlimited. So no matter what language I might use, I'm limited because God is unlimited. And so um, I think I think when we can move from this posture that we've been, a lot of us have been raised in of certainty and of right and wrong answers and over, I think what you're calling us to is a posture of humility. That's like, hey man, I have got a filter. I, I either need to remove it, accept it. I, like there's just got to be this acceptance that, that I've got that there. And an understanding. One of the things that, I think first awakened me to this idea of the diversity of God in humanity is so often growing up, you know, I heard that we're made in the image of God. And in my mind, it was, yes, we who look like me. And when you start thinking about we are made in the image of God, that, that even someone who doesn't believe in God or doesn't believe in Jesus is still an image bearer. Yeah. They still bear the imprint of the creator on them. Yeah. So I could be sitting across the table from a Buddhist or a Muslim or whatever, or an agnostic. Yeah. And I can still meet God in that relationship. Yeah. And that blew my mind at first because my poor little Pentecostal self was so small small and tightly contained that I was missing out on this beautiful experience and flavoring of God and his diversity and mm-hmm. who he created us each to be. And I think that's being brave enough to understand that God is still present even if we don't want to acknowledge him or even right. if we acknowledge him differently. Right. He is so present. And so 
in each relationship we have, we can learn more about him, more about ourselves. And if we remove that, that fear of, um, if I let this person in, then suddenly there's not enough room for someone else. What we need to understand is that there's abundance in God and that the table is ever increasing. You put a chair down, yes. someone sit down and God puts 10 more down. Like we are not ever going to invite more people to the table than God can manage. Yeah. And out invite him. He is a hospitality guru here. Yeah. Like, <laughs> his table, and there's always room for more. And I think that that's part of what makes us tightly contained is when we don't understand the abundance that's available when we are brave enough to include like Jesus included. Yeah. And I think it's, it's important that we, we remember like it's, it's God's table. Like the right. table belongs to Christ. And, and I think sometimes we get so used to our, our place at the table that we somehow think this was our idea. And now it's our job to right. decide how much room or where we go. And, and I think the reality is, you know, we have our place at this eternal table and, and our brain just can hardly understand eternal things. So all that we, we see what we see and, and we're like, Oh, but that person, I don't know. And, and we start kind of trying to uh, decipher and judge who gets to be at the table. And, and the truth is it's just not our table. And, and we get to steward what we've been given, but we don't get to decide how long the table is and how many seats are at it. And I, I think it's really hard for us to grasp infinite and eternal things. And I think the table is infinite and eternal. And so I, and, and it does not belong to us. And so there are things that we have habits that we have gotten into that limit the table limit our experience of the table and um so in in doing this podcast yeah our hope was to start conversations and not um, obviously not between us but <laughs> between our listeners right and the people in their communities so when taking this idea of brave spaces out of this listening um sort of mode that we're in in a podcast what's your dream for seeing that lived out in your life or in the lives of the people listening? That's a good question. Um, I think, I think that developing an awareness of what goes on within yourself when you're having a conversation that feels like it's contrary or that you want to shut down or that you want to, um, put somebody on the outside because, you're understanding things differently. I would want us to develop a, an awareness of what's happening in us so that we can choose better. Like, you know, um, the, so that we might see our tendency to want to use shutdown language, that we might see our tendency to want to decide who gets to be there or not. Um, so what does shutdown language look like or sound like? I think a really great one that we like to use is, is questioning people's commitment to the Bible uh, or like that people that believe different than us don't care. Like you've just decided that because you don't care about sweet baby Jesus anymore. And, and so I, I just think we can do better than that. I think we can, we can, there are ways outside of 
what our traditions have of faithfully engaging with scripture or faithfully engaging with how we hear and understand the voice of God speaking to human hearts across time and um, different cultures and realities. And so I think when we're like, well, don't you believe that the Bible says like, that's a pretty loaded gun. And it sort of is like the equivalent of the Christian Hitler card where, you know, you're talking with somebody and the conversation ender is just, well, you're like Hitler and, and it's, well, nobody wants to be like Hitler. And, and, and we do, and like, can we see that we're doing this? We're, we're smacking down the, like, you don't care about the Bible anymore because you think differently than me. And I just, it's often such a fear-based reaction because when you start asking questions and this is something that um, I just think that as modern Jesus followers, we have lost the fortitude to sit in mystery. It takes a certain amount of strength yeah. of faith and confidence in, in God to be able to say, well, I don't know. And there's a mystery here that I can't solve. And we go back to this idea of rightness and how, mm certain branches of Christianity have been established based on firm foundations. And this is what we know and, and yeah. a firm concrete understanding that maybe isn't so firm. And so when you start asking questions, it freaks literally freaks the hell out of people yeah. and they don't know how to respond because yeah. All these things that they were taught that, well, the Bible clearly says, and we know this, and they're not brave enough to say open-handedly, maybe it's not so black and white, but right. I still believe in God. Yeah. And I think that's part of what we're talking about here is living an open-handed life and saying, my foundation isn't set in, the Bible clearly says, it's set in Jesus and God right. and Holy Spirit. Right. And that's a, a thing. It's a thing. <laughs> it is a thing. And, and I do, and I think the, when like we, um, when we've built a foundation on something that is Jesus and, and, and I think we actually need things that, that feel like places to settle and rest. So, the solution is not we've had too many rules, too many things. Now everything goes and it's just me and Jesus. And, and I just don't think Jesus is my bay was like the, the, the complete totality of the ministry of Christ. I think it was That's what I thought you for Christmas was that Jesus is my bay sweatshirt. Dang it. Dang it. I'm gonna, I'll, I'll wear it to sleep. Um, <laughs> But I think we can, like, it was about community and, and it was about yeah. us together. And, you know, when we spend all our time trying to decide who's right and wrong, who's in, who's out, it sounds to me a lot like trying to discover, um, you know, using the knowledge of good and evil to judge and to, and, and I just want to say that's a mistake we've made from the beginning and that we've been called to something better. We've been called to life. We've been called to connection. We has to be bigger than me. And I think we've got to really get beyond our tendency to have 
only an individual faith. There is an individual faith. But then there's this broader faith that's just been delivered and passed down that, that is bigger than us. It, it's about all of us and it's inclusive and it is beautiful and invitational. And I don't know. I think there's a difference between having a personal faith and an individual one. Yeah. And you that's can- good. Somebody write that down Got <laughs> a meme. Quick. Where's the meme gem generator? Come on now. But our faith is meant to be personal. Yeah. But it's meant to be lived out in community. And community isn't clones. It's the diversity of God in action around us. And mm-hmm. we need to be brave enough to include people who are different. And not just, um, you know, well, I'm a Pentecostal and I'm going to the Alliance Church this week. So watch yeah. me walk on the wild side. But people... <laughs> you know, but engaging with people who look different, who speak different, who believe different, who who have different life experiences than us, who maybe have a picture of black baby Jesus on their wall, because maybe Jesus wasn't white with blue eyes and understanding that heretic, someone else's understanding of their personal faith doesn't change your personal faith. It changes how you live out in community and it's meant to be that way. Right. Yeah. You know, are we brave enough to do that? Yeah. I think um, something else that we could be careful of is what about ism? Right. I don't know if that, I think, I mean, anytime, I think most isms are destructive in the end. Like I, I, so, you know, when somebody is experimenting with an idea about God, oh, this is, yes. Earlier, I was going to say, you were talking about the foundation, and we, we built our foundation on God and how we, and, you know, um, where we want to say that we built our foundation on God. And I think something that has provided great structure for me in my own process of reconstructing my faith, deconstructing, reconstructing, I mean, it, I, I do think there is we tend to find ourselves in the order, disorder, reorder, somewhere on that continuum, right? If we've got a growing faith. But I think what we've done is we've added so many things to that foundation that it's ended up making God really brittle and fragile. And what's been a really helpful realization for me is like, I actually believe that God is so solid and so unchangeable and i don't mean unmoved by us and our circumstances i don't think god is sterile from emotions i think he's super emotional and and has all his faculties her faculties <laughs> about god's self and but if god is actually firm if god is not like diminished by a belief that's not true about him, then I can be secure in that. Right. Like I, I can, if God is secure, I can be rooted in that security, but still bend and move and grow and discover without fear. If my beliefs determine God's foundation and stability, then 
Yeah, it's that's super scary. When I start pulling at a belief of, was it a literal six-day creation? Maybe it was or maybe it wasn't. But when I've made that part of the foundation of who God is, then God becomes very brittle, very fragile. And, and, and it feels like we're just flipping the dominoes and the whole house is going to come crashing down. And I do think sometimes that's actually what needs to happen. And that is how we discover the relearning process of who God is and how we understand the way God relates to us and to one another and what he's inviting us into. So I think that is a, another great brave space philosophy is that God is secure. Well, and it's understanding that in the renovation or deconstruction, reconstruction phase that the things that are falling down aren't God. Right. And because what I've seen too often in the last year or so is people who had a level of notoriety in, yep. in the Christian faith go through a renovation process and then question whether or not God even exists. Right. right? Questioning were the things I built my beliefs on, was that really God? And there's right. a difference there because we absolutely believe in God and we believe in Jesus and Holy Spirit and, and the truth of the Trinity and who they are together and separately. Yeah. What is shaky and out of joint sometimes is, are the other beliefs we attach to them and the deal breakers we try to stick to them that aren't necessarily part of the nature of God. Right. And so when those other things fall away, can we handle? Right our own fragility in that and, and understand God is still solid. Right. And I think God's solid enough that we can even not believe God's solid. Do you know what I mean? Like, like, yeah. I, like in my own journey so far, that hasn't come up in question, probably partially because nobody's listening to me to find out what I think about God. Like that, that is probably part of what makes it a little, this, the, the process that I've been through over the past five years to be much easier but I would say God is even secure enough that somebody could say, I don't even think I believe in God anymore. And in some ways, I think that's true. The God that you believed in doesn't exist for you anymore. If, if, if you had a God that was, you were always worried about upsetting because he was going to get angry. And like, if you died on the wrong day and you had a wrong belief, hellfire and brimstone and eternal conscious torment for you for the rest of your life, you know what, that, that God needs to die because that was never God. So it might feel like I don't believe in God anymore. And I think that's okay. I think when we dogpile on people for them sharing their process with us, it's not a brave space anymore. We're not, we're not making space where they can, they can grow. And, you know, you would hope that they would find their way back to a comforting presence that, we would call God uh, an ultimate reality that we would call God. Um, but I, I think, think it's important that when you see someone going through that process, their process and belief curve doesn't have to be yours. You don't right. have to adopt their mess because you have your own that you get yeah. to play with and work through. Exactly. You don't have to take on someone else's deconstructing mess you know we were recently in scotland and you can't swing a stick without finding an old church there right and 
we were in um, an 800 year old cathedral and we were talking with one of the guys there and they, um, he was part of the congregation who was doing a tour for us. And he was talking about how they had to reconstruct the, the roof. Yeah. But from the inside out, because if they went from the outside in, what was inside would fall. And, and so it was this long process. And he just said, when you have something this old and this precious, you need to approach it from a different perspective to keep it intact while you're doing the work that needs to be done. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yes, yes, that we don't have to take a wrecking ball to things that aren't working. Sometimes we can start pulling apart the pieces that are not functional yep. while allowing temporary structure to hold it up. Mm-hmm. And I guess what I mean there too is that while we're talking about this podcast and this idea of a table setting and faith exploration, it's okay if you have to step out of what you've always done and allow other people, other ministries, other practices to support you mm-hmm. while you sort out what needs to be dismantled and yeah. put it in a framework in place. You don't have to stay where you've always been and try and keep so contained and, and um, keep your renovation under wraps because you're afraid of what people are going to say around you. Right. There's, it's okay for you to step out of line and exhale and go, okay, this, this is the mess that I'm trying to work with. So I also feel like there's a pressure, especially if you've been raised in the church, right. to always be in the church. Well, right. you are always in the church because you are the church and your church can happen at home in your pajamas, watching a, a podcast. It can happen around the table with your family. It can happen alone in nature. It can happen in the shower while you're sobbing about your dilemmas right because holy spirit is with you your your church process isn't what happens in a building on a sunday it can be and that's a vital community is a vital point part of what our faith is Mm -hmm. but you're suddenly not going to go to hell or displease god because you're stepping out of the sunday morning routine for a while yeah yeah i think i think that it's it's finding that tension between stepping like moving your place at the table Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you're right. Like there, there is, where can we go where God isn't? There's nowhere. So I think that that there is that reality that we are part of the church, no matter where we are, we are the church. We're part of the church. And, and yet I would call us back to that truth. I think that, that our personal faith is meant to be lived out in community and so sometimes there's a process and let's allow that process but let's not have the end goal an individual exclusive experience right um and yet if you choose to do that the frustrating thing is is that god is going to love you and god is going to include you and god is going to keep relationship with you so i that that i think is the thing you know when when we talk about god's ways being higher than our ways it's not that what we call badness god calls goodness it's that his goodness is so much bigger than whatever goodness we could imagine it's Mm. not it's not that that verse where it talks about your ways are higher than why my ways your thoughts are higher than my thoughts it's not talking about opposite day 
it, it's not God, you're so opposite day to me. It's God, the depth of your ability and experience and abundance and measure that you are good, that you are love, that you are gentleness, that you are faithfulness. All like the fruit of the spirit is God's character, right? And and so it's like we're always trying to grow in these things, but whatever we, whatever measure we attain, learn, practice, whatever, God is so much more that that we can't even handle it. But let's not turn that into God is opposite day, that God's gentleness looks like roughness, that God's kindness looks like meanness. Um, I think, I think that's the frustrating truth about God is that. And I think that that is, um, man, this is some of what we're going to be talking about next time as we talk about um, building our faith beyond what our fear is. And this idea of the idea of the depth of God and the capacity of God is frightening because it's unknown. Yeah. And, you know, I think about um, years ago when that uh, animal planet or planet earth or whatever, all those things started coming out, there had been a series of movies about deep sea creatures eating people and being scared. Then, you know, watching some of these documentaries where they actually went into the deep sea, what was there was so much beauty that had been unseen that the creatures Mm. there were so intricate and unique and breathtaking that our fear of these unknown sea creatures can begin to be replaced by a recognition of beauty that we would never have experienced right had we not been brave enough to go deeper and i think that is a reflection of the nature of god that mm-hmm. we can be, our own human nature is afraid of what we don't know and we don't see but if we're brave enough to take those leaps into where God already is, we can see yes. more of who yeah. God already is. Right. And, you know, you, you might say like fear might be the beginning of wisdom, but it isn't the end of it. Like we might, we might go, oh, but we're, I don't think we're meant to stay in fear in order to get wisdom. I think that's more like, this is what happens when we come into contact with, infinite and eternal reality that is God. It feels scary. It's unknown. How did we make that the goal? Let's be scared of this (laughs) ultimate reality called God. And that's how we have a good relationship. And Jesus is like, no, no, like guys, you missed it. You missed it. So I think that, that, that really describes the process well we're afraid of something but if we will let it be what it is and we choose to experience and and let go and trust we discover beauty we discover stuff that that wasn't in our minds possible so i'm excited because that's what the whole next episode is going to be about sort of stepping past our fear into faith Mm-hmm. So in our last minute or two here, what would be your summary of this brave space? Yeah, we've been all over the all over the place. Um, I think I think brave spaces require us to put aside what feels precious to us, so that we can 
enter into a listening space and a space where our desire is to understand the experience of the person across from us or the group across from us. Um, I would want us to be really careful with our shutdown language that, that we would ask curious questions rather than saying, but what about, but the Bible says this and it's clear. And, and, and it's like, there, let's have humility to realize the Bible has clearly, I say this in quotation mark, clearly <laughs> said things over the course of, you know, generations that we look back and go, Oh, that wasn't, it didn't actually, it wasn't as clear as we had hoped. When, when we're excluding people, I don't think the Bible's clear. I think right. we're murky and we're calling that murkiness clarity. Um, I would want us to be careful about what about ism. And, and it's true, you pull one, one brick that was never God and it feels like the house of cards collapses. Sometimes just let's sit with that discomfort and, and trust that God is so secure that doesn't bother him. This is not like, we're not, we don't have to defend and prop God up. He's so, she's so stable. And just for the record, every time I call God, she, it's still, it's like, I'm reminding myself that God is bigger than he. And for some people, I know that's really important. And for some people, I know that's really, really hard to hear. I have limited language. We don't understand all that God is. And, and I just want to remind us God's bigger than what, what we think. And I think um, even holding space to when we've experienced brave spaces where they, there's kind of like this beautiful vulnerability that ends up opening up, it's when people back away from needing to solve the tension and that we would just sit in that tension and, go, and sit in right. people's process with them and just go, I'm here. And if, you know, and sometimes maybe someone will bring up something and say, hey, you said this thing and it just really set something off in me. And I just thought, I don't know if I even want to engage. Can we like have humility enough to go, if I came across as dogmatic and didn't leave you space for discovery, I'm sorry. I want to sit in this space of discovery with you. And I can put aside the things that feel certain to me, not because I'm better further ahead, but that I can sit in the tension of what feels certain for me and maybe what doesn't for you. And that the point is our connection and our communion with one another. And, and that when I do get triggered, my job is not to silence the triggers, but to realize I, I really think triggers are things that are ready to be healed in us and something that we're able to look at. And that's a whole other topic that I'm not qualified to speak on. I've just found that to be true. And so if I can sit with the tension in a brave space, which is one type of many type of spaces that, that a person needs in their life, I think we're going to find that we find connection, we find community, we find growth, we find life. And I think we're looking for that. <laughs>